see you guys. We've had a couple of odd weeks, haven't we? Last week it was a morning service, and there was weird... Was last week canceled? Yeah. Sorry, my weeks are all running together. It, one was canceled, one was morning service, but it's all been kind of sporadic, and it's been a little sporadic with us as well because we've had some health issues with our son, so I haven't been here as frequently as I would like. Um, but as Daryl said, March 1st, we are starting our community fast. And um, I know usually when we hear the word fasting, probably all of you, when Daryl said that's what we were going to talk about today, there's a part of you that was like, oh, dang. Why did I come for this? <laughs> this is not what I want to hear about today. Um, but I just want to encourage you, we're right now, today, we're not even going to focus on the technicalities of fasting or abstaining from food. What we're really going to look at, and I'm going to say this to you as Daryl and I, as the founders, pastors, leaders of what we're doing here, what I'm sharing with you today is very the heart and the essence of why we are fasting 40 days. And so I'm gonna, we're going to look at the words of Jesus. So it was actually the heart and the essence of why Jesus called us to fast. Um, so even more than our vision and our agenda. But I just want to encourage you, just go ahead and let down those defenses that somehow I'm going to tell you you have to juice your brains out or go without your favorite mocha laka, chaka laka latte from Starbucks or none of that. Just don't have no fear. No fear. Because <laughs> um, we're not going to be we're getting into really the heart of fasting and the posture and the position of New Testament. Everybody say, New Testament fasting. Because we do, we have different, it has to be said, within a group this size, there's those of us that are either unfamiliar with fasting completely, it's just a foreign subject. We think of the Desert Fathers, and we've read about them in church history, and we think the Desert Fathers did that. It was for them because they were radical and insane and separated and they were mystical. And so they were encountering the Lord. I'm working 80 hours a week. I'm a parent. I'm going to school. And so therefore, I'm not living that mystical life and it's not for me. But there's also a segment of the body of Christ that would tend to believe that New Testament after the cross, that there's certain things that are considered works that we no longer need to engage in, and, we, and it, it, I'm addressing it as a mindset, and that's perfectly fine because some people actually draw their understanding of that from th certain things that Paul says, that pretty much, like, don't make a matter of food, whether you're going to eat it or not eat it. Don't make a big deal. It even says, don't make uh, legalistic requirements upon people to abstain. Paul says that. So there's those that would say, hey, in the New Testament, there's no place for that. But this is what we need to understand today, and this is what we're going to look at. Jesus addressed fasting. Jesus addressed it himself, but he also did, he addressed it in the context of a new wineskin, that it's not the old form of fasting. It's a new form of fasting from a new understanding and a new revelation. And so this is, I want our hearts to be at ease today so that for those of you that have misconceptions biblically, for those of you that even are just completely unfamiliar that we believe in the grace of prayer and fasting. Not out of a place of striving or almost a mortification of yourself, but from a place of joy and from a place of longing. And so it's born inwardly and it's an outward expression. I'm going to have you guys turn to Matthew chapter 9, verse 14. How many of you guys are familiar with this passage of scripture? 
And this is where the disciples of John came to him, who is Jesus, saying, why do we, the Pharisees, fast often, but your disciples do not fast? So first of all, how many of you guys know John the Baptist? He came before Jesus. His disciples were fasting. And how many of you guys also know the Pharisees, they also fasted two days a week. It was Jewish culture. It was part of your Jewish law to engage Monday and engage Wednesday in fasting. It was part of what you did as a Jewish believer. Well, I shouldn't even say believer, as a Jew, born a Jew. And so then you have actually the disciples of John that were engaging in fasting as well. And so they come asking, why do we and the Pharisees fast often, but your disciples do not fast? So Jesus could have said anything, right? He could have answered, and this is so telling. Jesus said to them, verse 15, can the friends of the bridegroom mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them. But the days will come when the bridegroom will be taken away from them. And I want you guys all to read out loud this next passage. And then they will fast. And then they will fast. He's actually declaring there is a season for fasting. There is a dispensation for fasting. And what he was declaring is the bridegroom is in the midst of the disciples. That all the yearning and all the longing of creation for Jesus, the Messiah, in the flesh to come, he was in the midst of them. So why would they fast? They were celebrating. The fullness of God had come in bodily form and Jesus was there. There was no room for mourning. There was no room even for longing because he was manifest in their midst. And what Jesus did right here is he linked the understanding that fasting has to do with an issue of mourning. More specifically, that word mourning means longing for something. Is there anybody in this place that's longing for something? I don't care what you're longing for in this room. I'm going to tell you. The, the pinnacle of that longing, the ultimate end of that longing is Jesus. You're craving, you're dissatisfied, you're frustrated, you can't seem to find peace and rest. It's because you're longing for more of Jesus. I don't care if you think it's school related, business related, marriage related, it's more of Jesus. That's it. Go home now. So I don't care how complex you think it is. I don't care what medication you're on. Take your meds, encounter Jesus, and in the process, take your meds until you're completely healed. But it's more of Jesus we need. He makes us whole, body, soul, and spirit. He makes all things new. So Jesus is declaring it's an issue of mourning. And he's saying the bridegroom is, and if you're wondering, kind of like, well, wh why do you think the bridegroom is Jesus? And why do you, let's just look at a couple of passages of scripture here that I'm going to give to you concerning the bridegroom. And we don't have time today to turn to all of them, but Matthew 25, 1 through 13. This is where Jesus pictures his second coming as the arrival of the bridegroom. So the second coming of Jesus it's pictured as the arrival of the bridegroom. At midnight, there was a cry. 
here is the bridegroom. This is the talking about when Jesus comes at the second coming. Come out to meet him. Specifically, he refers to himself as the bridegroom at the second coming. But also, if you look at Isaiah chapter 62, verse 5, if you look at Ezekiel uh, chapter 16, verse 8, if you look at Hosea 2, 19, all of these are the language and the understanding of him as the bridegroom. Jesus as the bridegroom. That we were created to be married and in union and united with the bridegroom. And so that where this is where Jesus makes the declaration to John's disciples. There's no need. They're not mourning. Because fullness has come and is in their midst. But there is a time when the bridegroom is taken away. Then they will fast. He's declaring it actually. It's, it's a normal response. It's not radical. <laughs> it's not extreme. <laughs> then they will fast. It's the norm. It's the, rea- it's the corporate reality of fasting. Fasting, um, when you look into the word mourning, fasting was by and large associated with mourning in that day, specifically having a heartbrokenness and a desperation. Desperation is not something that in our contemporary Christianity we like to hear a lot about. Do you want to know this passage of scripture, when Jesus is saying it, it even strikes to the very core and the very root of self-sufficiency. You know, I oftentimes, and I'm going to share this story with you guys, is we as a younger generation of people, there's definitely teaching and theology in the body of Christ as far as in the New Testament that because Jesus came, the fullness of Christ dwells within us, that somehow we have all the, we do have the fullness of Christ, but we're not necessarily walking in the fullness of Christ. I can't tell you how many young people I've heard use the language of, you know, I'm not contending for revival, I'm living in revival. Well, why is it you're addicted to porn? No, really. Like, I, I know that we all want to claim the reality of these things, but I'm going to tell you, until they are the living reality, day in and day out, how you speak, how you talk, what you think, how you react under pressure, that's what he's after. It's not just the theology. The kingdom is now. I love it when people even say, I don't contend in the place of intercession that the kingdom is now and it's completed. Well, why is it that when you go into a city, the whole city isn't turned upside down like it was when Peter went? Are you walking in the book of Acts? No. So therefore, you should have a desperation for the fullness that is in Christ Jesus. You gotta understand something. Fasting is not saying, woe is me, I haven't experienced Christ. No, it's saying, I have experienced a measure and a portion. And because I've tasted, I'm hungry for more. Fasting is a sign of hunger. And this is what I'm gonna say to you. If you despise the language of hunger, desperation, fasting, all of those things, you need to think about it as practically as hunger is a sign of life. Matthew 5, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. I'm going to tell you right now, I'm going to warn you, even if you never see my face again, in the next 10 to 20 years with teaching that's circulating in the body of Christ, when you begin to hear teaching that pacifies you in your present state, 
and rather than arousing hunger and desire to seek God, you should run the other direction. Because if you look at the words of Jesus, he specifically said, he specifically said that when the bridegroom is taken away, then they will fast. And it's the understanding of a longing for something more. It's the reality of hungering and thirsting. Blessed are those that hunger and thirst for righteousness. I'm going to say to you, and I'm so sorry if I offend you, this is the way I talk to myself, it's the way I talk to my husband, it's the way I talk to my dearest friends. If you are not hungry, it is because you are dead. It's a sign of life. It's not a sign of weakness. It's not a sign that you somehow have not encountered the fullness of Christ you have. And it's a sign that you have tasted of something and now you long for more. It's a sign of life when you ache for more of his presence. I have heard the, the, the debate so many different times concerning fasting, concerning even prayer of having, I'm so sorry, I'm sweating. I have to take this off. I'm really sorry if sleeveless things offend you and this is too much skin, but it's wool. <laughs> Just look away from my white arms. <laughs> sorry, I have a stumbling block, you know me. But, um, no, joking, like I just, <laughs> you guys want to hear the funniest story? <laughs> the reason I say that, stumbling block, like it's a big joke, is we, I was on a staff at one time, and I was really close friends with a couple, and because of the severity of the sexual temptation and sin in the husband, and the friend that would confide in me, and different things like that, I can remember one time I was sitting in the staff meeting, and I looked at the husband, because I like did stuff alone with him, and you know, whatever, I looked at the husband, and I was like, oh my gosh. I was like, am I? He was like, oh, no. He was like, that's like, and she goes, that's laughable. I was like, I was like okay. <laughs> Just so we all know where we stand here. <laughs> so I never really have much concern about that. <laughs> I know. So I'm sure my arms are not. <laughs> so all of that aside, fasting. <laughs> I was um, in this one meeting, and in this meeting, uh, just a little precursor, in a lot of situations that I'm in, um, and have, because I've been in ministry since I was, you know, a teenager, I tend to be either the only female, or, yeah, the only female, but oftentimes the youngest, like everybody else is like my parents' age, and so I'm outnumbered usually in these kind of meetings. So I was sitting in one of these meetings and surrounded by older, more distinguished, reputable you know, leaders and pastors and things. And as I was sitting in this meeting, I was sharing about prayer and fasting. I was, you know, it was one of those meetings where it's like, well, what's the Lord saying? And, you know, what do, what do people feel on their heart? And I'm talking about desperation and seeking God and God awakening longing in the heart of his bride. And, you know, I'm like pouring it out as far as the need for an unprecedented move of seeking the face of God. Pouring it out. Literally, like every single leader in the room just starts going, well, my, my church, we're experiencing revival. You know, they're all, they're all kind of like sharing how like, that's just not where I'm at. I'm experiencing revival. And I can remember like looking at all of them thinking, really? Really? Your church of 150 that hasn't grown in five years since I've known you? That's revival? Like, you know, just seeing, like, there is no manifestation of the kingdom and fruitfulness. Meaning, 
I would call revival when all of Boston is coming under conviction of the Holy Spirit. There's mass repentance and the kingdom is come where they have to close our jails and close our bars where marriages are restored and children are set free. I mean, I'm, that's my context for revival is book of Acts. So as I'm sitting there and kind of like looking at them going, we are so lame and pitiful. And you know what it is? I started realizing, looking around the room, thinking, I can't say anything disrespectful right now. They're all like 60-something and been in the ministry for so many years and doctorates and, you know, who am I? As I'm looking and kind of going, you know what? (laughs) When we're all like looking at each other, no, really, (laughs) when we're all looking at each other, we're so easily impressed with ourselves. Because, you know, I'm looking at you and going, well, I'm, I'm doing better and more significant. We have more growth than you do. So, And then I'm looking at this one, or I'm looking at myself. Instead of when we're looking at Jesus in all of his beauty, in all of his splendor, in all of his majesty, in all of his power, in all of his zeal for humanity, in all of his longing to reconcile man to himself, so then we begin burning for the lost and no longer being content with our little programs and as long as I can pay my bills. When we break out of that place of mediocrity and triviality, begin to see who he is and get a higher vision and get ruined for something more. You know, I loved it because as I sat there, I thought, no matter what I say, it's going to be taken wrong. It's going to be taken offensive. It's going to be taken, you know, I'm younger and not, and I just poured out my heart anyway. And I loved it. I loved it. One of the oldest men in the room, and he actually had like the most significant like ministry happening. He actually looked around at all the men and he goes, well, he goes, I don't know. He said, from what Bethany's saying, he said, it's making me think. He said, you know, my, my shadow isn't healing anyone. Holy hush. (laughs) You know, (laughs) every other leader was like, "Mm," you know, (laughs) kind of no longer talking about the revival they're experiencing in their church. And this is what we need to understand when we look at this passage of scripture. Matthew 9, 15. Can the friends of the bridegroom mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? But the days will come when the bridegroom will be taken away from them and then they will fast. Jesus doesn't even take a breath. He just keeps talking. So this is a continual thought. Jesus goes on to say, no one can put a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. For the patch pulls away from the garment and tears, a tear is made worse. Verse 17, nor do they put new wine into an old wineskin or else the wineskin break and the wine is spilled and the wineskins are ruined but they put new wine into a new wineskin and both are preserved. Do you understand that Jesus is talking about fasting? I mean, we have lots of theories on the wineskin and what does that mean? Jesus is literally saying, is he's talking about the need and he's talking about that when the bridegroom is taken away, then they will mourn. And then he goes on to speak about the new wine and the new wineskin. You know what he's saying? He's saying, it's not going to look like the religious law. There's actually one old writer, an old mystic. This is hilarious. I mean, it's crazy, like, when you read what he wrote, because you're like, that just makes no sense, and it actually sounds legalistic. But what he was trying, one old mystic actually wrote, and he said, when you fast, do not fast on Monday and on Wednesdays like the Jews do. 
You've read this, have you? But fast, he says, fast on Tuesday and fast on Thursday. And it's kind of like when you read it, you're like, why, why did you set new days? He's, you know what he's saying? He's saying, don't bring yourself into the system of the law. He's saying that in the new covenant, there is fasting, but it's done in a new way. It's not because they, that, that that time they were aching and longing for Jesus to come. And they couldn't even sense or bear witness to his presence in their midst. They, they rejected the Messiah. The longing of all creation was there. But now we actually have Jesus has come. All of us in this place, most of us in this place, have experienced the indwelling Christ. And you know what it is, is we should be in that position, in that posture of not partaking of old fasting, which is striving, but the new fasting, which says, I have tasted of something and it has made me hungry for so much more. I've tasted a measure of freedom, but I know he has so much more. I've tasted a measure of his presence, but he has so much more. See, oftentimes I've heard the theory that somehow the more mature you get, you don't need to pray as much or, you know, but I'm going to tell you in reality, when you actually study the men and the women of old that have seen great moves of God, like the kind of things we want to see, even those of you that um, love and respect Bill Johnson, Bill Johnson actually says, the closer you come to him, the more hungry you will get. Hunger begets hunger. The more you taste, the more you experience, the most mature of believers, the most intimate of believers with Christ, aren't those that are walking and saying, oh, I've tasted enough, I've had enough, and now I've moved on to higher and better things. They have been ruined for the natural realm. They have been ruined and no longer can be satisfied with programs and systems. They're not even impressed with stadiums being filled and big structures of ministry. They're sitting back and saying, ah, it's amazing and it's wonderful to see the body of Christ working, but I'm hungry for the glory of God. And until I see the glory of God, I am not impressed. I'm not impressed. And see, this is the problem, is that we are all looking at each other. We're impressed with this one's book, this one's ministry, this one's business, this one's, you know, whatever. You know what I'm going to say? Get your eyes on Jesus, and no one is really impressive. You know, I have, Daryl knows, I have some really impressive friends, <laughs> very impressive friends, doing amazing things around the globe. Some of them very visible very big and amazing, some of them very hidden and in countries all over the world, populating them with houses of prayer in some of the most Islamic terrorist places, all of them. But I can honestly tell you one thing, I love and adore what they're doing. I love and adore what they're doing. But I am not the least bit impressed or intimidated until all of us partake of what our, because you know what? We're all yearning for the same thing, the glory of God. The glory of God. I can remember even after seasons with the call, you know, we'd see stadiums filled. And you'd think after 12 hours, Lou Engle fasting on water for 40 days. I mean, and he's literally up there for 12 hours, rumbling and rolling. I'm usually laying in the side in a heap somewhere like I can't move. <laughs> I just can't do this anymore. 
But I can't tell you how many times, instead of being like, yeah, there was 400,000 there. I'm pretty big and pretty amazing. I've instead seen that man in a heap groaning for revival in America. Could utterly unimpressed with crowds, with accolades. And see, that's the place that each and every one of us have to come to. That you're not impressed with yourself, with your degree, with your bank account. That you're not impressed with the temporal, the lowly, the carnal. But when we get a vision of Jesus, when we get a vision of his beauty and his majesty, his greatness and his zeal, you know what it does? It ruins us for the ordinary. The ordinary can no longer satisfy you. That is what fasting is. It's an ache for something more than anything this earth. It's no longer, oh my, I mean, hear me, hear me. I was just texting with a friend this week. I, I myself have had seasons of fasting where I'm like, ditch this, I'm done. <laughs> I'm done, giving up on this one. I understand it. I've been in it, I don't know, I started fasting when I was like 16, so you can do the math, like 20 years. But fasting, some great, some not, some successful, some not. I empathize with you. But the reason we're preaching this message before we go into our 40 days, is because when fasting is born out of longing and desire, I can honestly tell you, whether it's chocolate, whether it's coffee, whatever it may be, when I'm in a place of aching for the presence of God, there's two things in fasting. Number one, you're either already aching, and so you enter into that season of fasting, and there's grace. You know why? Because we desire nothing else. It's we have a singular vision. I must have more of Jesus. Forget the chocolate cake. I could care less. I have a vision of Jesus. But you know what fasting is also used as? It's one of the best and most effective weapons God has given us to actually invoke and create hunger. I've also taken the position of fasting of saying, I'm not hungry. I'd rather, I'm, you can ask my husband, I'm not a big TV buff have no interest in watching television, but I can tell those seasons where I'm not aggressively seeking God. I'm like, hey, how do you figure out what are series that people are watching? Because I think I want to watch one. My husband's like, what? <laughs> like, why do you want to? I'm like, just want to veg, just want to zone. Just... And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that, but for me as an individual that I'm not a veg zone girl, like that's just not me. I want to sit down and make lists. <laughs> that's therapeutic. <laughs> But I can see it. It's that place where my appetite is dull. And what did I say earlier? Hunger is a sign that you are alive. When you're no longer hungry, you are no longer living. So that's the place when I'm not aching and longing, I say, hmm, I somehow need to posture my life. I need to adjust something. I need to change something. I need to position myself to say, wake me up, Jesus. And you know what? In those places when there's no grace for fasting, when it's the temptation for things that we're longing for, I can guarantee simply by uttering these words to Jesus saying, God, I desire you more than chocolate cake. You know, it kind of puts it in perspective. Like, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. You're worth it. You are. <laughs> I mean, doesn't it even just sound like, what? Of course you want him more than chocolate cake. Well, how come in that moment it's such a vice and a grip and a... <laughs> 
You know, you guys all been there. You know those nights where like literally your hip bones are aching and your legs are, you're like, I'm withering away to nothing. (laughs) Not really. I got an extra 20 I could shed. But it feels that way. It feels like my body is aching. (laughs) Like it hurts. It needs carbs. That's what I need. Not fruits and vegetables, carbs and chocolate. (laughs) Come on, right? If your body really needed something, it would probably want an apple. But not when you're vazzing. So, sorry. <laughs> so Matthew 9, 14 through 17. We're on page one of my notes, and we're going to need to wrap this up as it's almost 530, and we have seven more pages. So, <laughs> now that's real. That's, that's not a joke. That's real. So let's... <laughs> So let's be selective right now <laughs> instead of just telling stories like I was. Uh, <laughs> um, okay, so the new wine, as far as Jesus declaring fasting and that it's no longer the old wine skin, but the new wine skin. So the understanding, if somebody says to you, fasting is Old Testament, you could say, oh yeah, that's the form of legalism when you're doing it because you're required to. No, no, no. I have an aching and I have a longing and a desperation for Jesus. You know what fasting is? It's just taking a posture. It doesn't even have to be food. Let's get into some practicals. I know a few people have emailed me and been like, are you asking me to do water for 40 days? No, 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 no. I would encourage you. I'm all about fasting food. I think it has spiritual significance in things that we don't even understand in our lives. But I will say, for some of you, the most effective thing you can do for 40 days is turn off your TV. Just do it. Just turn it off. Like, don't seek the Lord and ask him because it's the will of the Lord and you're just not hearing him. (laughs) Just do it. No, really. Like, if we can't, why is that? Because it's an issue. So let's just remove it for 40 days. Some of you, you probably just need to use this thing for business. Like, I answer emails. I approve things. Will knows. Like, I'm at playgrounds going, yes, that looks great. Can't see it, but looks good. Yeah. Mm This thing, I understand we work by it, but most of us are addicted and distracted. Yeah, yeah, I said it, because you know what it is? Your eyes and your ears aren't inclined looking to hear the voice of God. Instead, you're looking for information and data from man, and you don't need it. You have enough needless, senseless information rolling around in there. You don't need the buzz on whatever's happening with some Movie star, you don't need to know what the neighbor down the block had for dinner. No, really, that's what people, that's what, that's what people are tweeting. <laughs> My dinner. Like, who cares? No, really, it's trivial. It's, it's completely trivial. And we've lost desire for the divine. Because you've been numbed with the trivial. You, me, I'm not... Come on, you know I own it. You know I'm not saying you, we. So instead of encountering the presence of God, we numb ourselves. I'm going to give you guys two passages of scripture, and I promise I'm done. Promise, I promise. But I have to, because it's what I'm talking about, and it makes it biblical. So. (laughs) No, really. Like, it's just not my opinion. It's in the Bible. All right, Luke. Luke 14 18 through 20. I'm going to give you these two passages of scripture. 
help you understand why we fast, and then we're done. Luke 14, 18 through 20. This is the parable of the Great Supper. Now, one of the, now when one of those who sat at the table with him heard these things, he said to him, Blessed is he who shall eat bread in the kingdom of God. Verse 16. Then he said to him, A certain man gave a great supper. Okay, I'm going to clue you in if you don't know this parable very well. This is like the marriage supper of the Lamb. This is like Jesus giving an invitation to his table. He, this is Jesus saying, I'm inviting you to come to dinner. Come sit at my table. How many of you guys know in the Bible, sitting and dining has to do with fellowship. Come have fellowship with me. This is the invitation that's being extended. This is the invitation that's been given to every single one of us to live in fellowship with God. An open invitation. Come spend time with me. I want to hear from you, but I also have things I want to say to you. He extends this invitation in Luke 14. Then he said to him, a certain man gave a great supper and invited many and sent his servant at supper time to say to those who were invited, come, for all things are now ready. Verse 18, but they all with one accord began to make excuses. The first said to him, I have bought a piece of ground, and I must go see it. I ask that you would excuse me. Another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen, and I am going to test them, and I ask that you would excuse me. Verse 20, still another said, I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. So that servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house, being angry, said to his servant, Go out quickly into the streets and the lanes of the city and bring in here the poor and the maimed and the lame and the blind. And the servant said, Master, it has it done as you have commanded, and there is still room at your table. Then the master said to the servant, Go out into the highways and the hedges and compel them to come in that my house may be filled. For I say to you that none of those men who were invited shall taste my supper. You know, this right here is Jesus giving us an illustration that he's invited us to come to his table. And I, I, what I want to point out here is these were not sinful things. They weren't sinful things that kept these people from coming to the master's table. It was ordinary, busy. The business of life had become so consuming, they couldn't even see the, the privilege of the invitation. How many of you guys know that day in and day out, the creator of the heavens and the earth the king of all of the earth has extended invitation and said, come meet with me. I'm going to tell you something. Even if you never hear certain words when you're in the presence of God, just by being in his presence, you're changed. 
I'm going to tell you right now, the change you're seeking, whatever it is that you need in your life, it's in the presence of God. So take a violent, radical stance, and that's what fasting is. It's saying, I'm going to remove all the distractions. Everything that's keeping me from your table. Everything that I valued more than your presence. You know, we say it as charismatic Christians. I don't value anything more than his presence. How many times do we remove things and set things aside and set things apart? And this is what I want to say to you. I don't want you to look at this as 40 days of fasting. I have to go without. I want you to begin to see fasting as 40 days of encounter. I need an encounter with the Spirit of God. You're not saying, I'm going to go without this and I'm going to do this. You're not doing anything. You know what you're saying? You're saying, I'm making room. I'm making room. I'm adjusting my life, my priorities. I'm adjusting my appetites. You only have so much capacity for desire. Your emotional makeup, you only have so much capacity for appetite. And depending on what you are filling and what you are partaking of, your appetite is being completely satisfied. And there is nothing left for desiring God because you've been filled with materialism, filled with entertainment. I'm not, none of those things are bad. But you know what? If they're taking you away from the banqueting table... You are no different than the individuals in this parable that he was beckoning and calling and saying, come. And they were denying him. You know, at Hilltop, at J-Hop, I could care less about anything else that we do or we accomplish. Yeah, well, I shouldn't say that. I mean, I love the poor. I feel very strongly about issues of justice. It is important to me. But you know what? It all is for naught and it's all in vain if we're not encountering the Lord. If we're not people that are beholding him, looking upon him, and being transformed into his image, into his likeness. How many of you guys know the the parable of the five wise and the five foolish virgins? They all had lamps. They all have capacity. They all, just so you know, if you really study that passage out, it's likened to even ministries. You know, ministry is not the qualifying factor. You can be doing lots of busy, good things. And we're lacking the oil of the Holy Spirit. The oil of the Holy Spirit is what is needed. And we have to close out, so I'm going to give you my last passage of Scripture. It's um, Luke 8, 14. The parable of the sower is explained. And this is once again. Now the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. Those by the wayside are the ones who hear. Then the devil comes and takes away the word out of their hearts, lest that they should believe and be saved. But the ones on the rock are those that when they hear, receive the word with joy. And these have no root, who believe for a while, and in time of temptation, fall away. Now the ones that fell among the thorns are those who, when they have heard, they go out and are choked with the cares, riches, and pleasures of life, and bring no fruit to maturity." But the ones that fell on the good ground are those who, having heard the word with a noble and good heart, keep it and bear fruit with patience. You know, what we need to understand is that for every one of those scenarios and every one of those people, they desired to bear fruit. They received. There was the receiving of the seed. 
Receiving of the seed. They weren't rejecting the seed. They weren't saying, I don't want that, I don't want... There was the receiving of the seed, but it was the ability to actually guard and protect and nurture and preserve so that their fruit could come to maturity. This actually speaks and is very similar even to this issue of the banqueting table. That for those of us in our life, the issue of fasting is actually saying, I have received the word of God. I have received his presence. I have received his truth. And now I will guard it with vigilance. And do you know what that means? It means fasting is a weapon and it's a tool that God has given you to cultivate the garden of your heart that your heart would stay alive, that your heart would stay alert, that you would live with longing, live with desire, live with urgency, live with desperation. I just want to encourage our whole community because we need to close out here. Let's stand to our feet. I just want to say first and foremost, there is no condemnation if you are in a place of saying, you know what, I don't live with that kind of like mourning that Jesus was talking about of aching for more of him. You know what? No condemnation. There's no guilt. There's no shame. Our 40 days is an invitation to come to the banqueting table. And it's an invitation for us to respond and say, God, I want a heart of perpetual response to you. That we as a community would not just declare with word, but declare with deed and declare with action. There is nothing we desire above you. There is nothing we desire above you. Your presence is the longing of our heart. Your presence is our desire. And you know the interesting thing about hunger and and longing and fasting is, you know, once you engage in that place, it's like your vision just continually gets increased. You know, it's no longer, okay, yes, my family needs, you know, a touch from God. Yes, we need his presence. But you know what? Once you experience your, his presence in your home, then you're looking at your neighborhood and your city. You know, for any person that ends up living a contented life or even they kind of will claim revival they're experiencing, I look around, not only the United States, and the 50 million unborn babies that have been aborted, the sex trafficking, if you're really experiencing revival in your midst, it should give you a yearning and a desire for his kingdom to be established in every sector of society. Instead of it creating a dull heart that kind of goes, well, I've feasted at his table and I'm content, it should create a yearning to see salvation of souls, restoration of lives, It's that what Jesus said, a mourning and a longing for the fullness of his kingdom. We have tasted of his goodness. We have tasted of his presence, but it's left us hungering for so much more. We're just going to close out with a word of prayer. God, I ask you that even as next weekend, Lord, we 